Welcome to Meekum Presents On The Move, the show geared toward keeping you up to speed with the latest auto news, event coverage, and expert industry insight. Now, here are your hosts, Matt Avery and John Craman. Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of On The Move. I'm Matt Avery, executive producer of The Transmission, and joining me as always is my co-host, John Craman, lead TV commentator for Meekum Auctions. Hey, Matt, how are you guys doing uh, dealing with the social distancing? Oh, we're doing as well as we can. Like everyone else, we're, we're hunkered down and kind of waiting it out. It's been nice to stay connected with, with people through uh, all kinds of different technology, and including more and more video chats. Well, last week's show, I was with you uh, via telephone, and we've moved that up a notch where this week we are communicating via the computer. So hopefully a little bit better uh, audio quality and uh, looking forward to getting back in the studio face-to-face with you. But in the meantime, uh, this is a big step. Uh, kudos to you for being able to help me being very non-tech savvy get that figured out hopefully it sounds a lot better this week you are coming through loud and clear john and speaking of technology to stay connected we have a special guest calling in for our next segment a friend of both of ours you want to tell listeners a little bit about who will be joining us yeah a real treat bob ashton's managing editor for mccack and that is the muscle car and corvette nationals held every year at the stevens convention center rosemont illinois um Meekum auctions is the presenting sponsor of that event it's my favorite automotive car show of the year i call it um the Pebble Beach of Muscle Cars. That's not an exaggeration. And what Bob's going to come on to talk with us about, Matt, is uh, a little bit about the show, a little bit about his background, but more importantly, the Eddie Benoit collection uh, coming up in early June. Uh, it's got about 100 cars, but more importantly, 5,000 pieces of road art, including collectible bicycles. And Bob's an expert on that, was part of our TV show, and uh, we're going to have him on to talk about it. Now, John, changing gears, uh, one of the major automotive events this year that you and I both were able to get to was the Chicago Auto Show. Wanted to take some time and just ask you, from the days that you spent on the show floor, what did you see that you liked, and really, what was uh, what was catching your attention? Well, I was really glad to see, Matt, that uh, the folks at FCA are celebrating the Dodge Challenger uh, for 2020, celebrating 50 years. They had a great display with some cool show cars, uh, some special editions that will be coming out here in the spring. And uh, it's really a nod to the crazy success of the original Challenger. It came out in 1970, ran through 1974, and then went away in that e-body configuration. It was reintroduced uh, as a Mitsubishi car as an import under the Challenger name by Dodge for a while, but the original platform of the Challenger had a short run, but it's lived now for 13 years. It came back in 2008, and FCA has really done a good job over the years of taking that basic platform and refining it, making it really, if not sort of the superstar, but certainly one of the big contenders of the current performance car wars as being one of the cars virtually everybody considers. Yeah, I agree, John, and I'd also echo your sentiments that the anniversary Challenger did look great in the Dodge booth. You know, a vehicle like that is why people go to major national auto shows. It's just when it's presented under the bright lights, it has all the needed elements that add up for that proper wow factor. It's got the vibrant paint colors. It's got the radical bodywork. It's got the matte black hood. And then it's got, you know, the level of exclusivity with the numbered badging. And then, you know, add all that to the longstanding heritage of the nameplate like Challenger. 
is just it's a vehicle that gets people talking and it's a vehicle that gets people excited about driving. Um, it's also a great time to be talking about the 50th uh, anniversary Challenger as they are slated to be arriving in showrooms very soon. And I, for one, really can't wait to see them out and about. Well, let's kind of stay in that legacy uh, platform. The Ford Mustang, of course, debuted uh, April 1964. Huge success. Uh, but one of the biggest controversies in the automotive world today was their announcement. And of course, you and I both had a chance to actually see the car. The electric Mustang, uh, the Mach-E, uh, which really doesn't share much in common with anything that maybe you or I as traditionalists would uh, expect out of a Mustang. It's more of a crossover look. It's a four-door. Uh, I was skeptical when I first heard the news, but you know, after seeing it at the Chicago Auto Show, came away with a little bit of a different feeling about it. I actually really liked the way the car looked, but you have one up on me, my friend. You actually had a chance at a special showing to get a little bit of ride-along time under power of the Mach-E. What'd you think of it? I really liked it. From the brief time I spent with it, I came away impressed. Um, now, it was brief. Ford offered journalists just a simple ride-along at a special event in one of the empty convention center halls. So, no extensive testing, no uh, driving, lengthy driving impressions to share, at least not yet. Uh, but all in all, the vehicle does very well. Uh, super quiet inside on the longest stretch of the little oval course that we went on. The driver punched it. The car has all that instant electric car torque. So, very functional, just what people are expecting, what they're wanting. I checked out the second row, good space there, same store in the cargo area, lots of room to, to throw stuff back there. So from a functionality standpoint, the vehicle does very well. I also like the integration of some of the Mustang styling cues. Um, you see that in the dual pod dash, as well as this, uh, the taillights. So, I mean, it's, it's clear that Ford did not just slap the Mustang name on some kind of nebulous product, that there was a a lot of thought put into it. The question remains, as we've talked about now for a while, is that will Mustang, longtime Mustang enthusiasts and collectors accept it and not see it as a competing product, but as a concurrent product to the Mustang name? Well, I think maybe the proof is in the pudding, Matt, where my discussion with the Ford reps on site had told me that the first year production for the Mach-E has been sold out. So at least from all indications, it's going to be a success. And as a follow-up to that, no worry, traditional Mustang fans, the future still looks very bright for our conventional uh, gasoline-powered Mustangs. Now, John, with such a long-standing uh, connection with Mustang with performance, do you see Ford offering performance packages and options on the Mach-E? Well, I think I might even take speculation and stuff further, Matt. The impression that I kind of get is it may very well be that Ford may use in the future, may use the Mustang name for all of their passenger cars. Nothing confirmed on that yet, but they seem to be kind of moving that direction as sedans and conventional nameplates of the traditional sedan seem to be going by the wayside. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And like everyone else, we'll just have to kind of wait and see what shakes out. Mecham Auctions is proud to bring you On the Move with Matt Avery and John Craman. For more on the world of collector cars, head over to Mecham.com. Now let's get back to the show. Turning our attention from Mustangs to McCacken, joining us, we have Bob Ashen, managing member for the Muscle Car in Corvette Nationals. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. 
Hey, happy to be with you. Hey, Bob, I just got to say, uh, having a conversation on the phone the other day with Sam Murtaugh, who's Mecham's vice president of uh, presentation and marketing. And he said, hey, you're going to be talking to Bob. That's really cool. He said, uh, man, I really had a good time watching him play drums with you and your band, Redline 7000, <laughs> at McCacken. So I just want to point out that uh, you're a, a, a man that wears a lot of hats and we always enjoy not only playing at your show, but when you can take away the time to join up and sit behind the drum kit for some rock and roll, brother. Well, I appreciate that, John. You know it's a blast. The uh, downside of it is it seems like the only time I get behind the drums is when I meet up with you on an annual basis now. So with this uh, particular situation now, I'm thinking I should sit down behind the kit and uh, do some practicing so I'm ready. Well, don't give up your day job running the McCacken Show because, as I have <laughs> mentioned uh, at the top of the show and I've mentioned many times over the years, my favorite car show of all time, certainly well-known. I'm not, not going to say that I coined it, but I've used it as the... Uh, Pebble Beach of Muscle Cars and the job that you do with bringing in 500 or so cars every year, different cars every year to the uh, Stevens Convention Center is amazing. How did this all come together for you, man? Well, you know, kind of the long and short, as I always say, um, as you know, I used to work for another company as a show manager producing Autorama and World of Wheel shows. And my real passion is in American muscle. You know, I, I grew up in that era. My father was a a high-level employee at Chrysler during the peak years of muscle. And um, so Dad always had company cars. So in, in being Chrysler, we had, you know, Cudas and Challengers and GTXs and Roadrunners. My older brother, just uh, about four years older than me, he was of driving age. So I was, I was born in 1960, so I was just ahead of it. But that kind of lit my fire for the muscle cars. And then to fast forward to how the show came to be, as a show manager for the other company, my passion was in the muscle cars, and I'd always wanted to produce a show specific to factory muscle. And uh, again, long story short, they didn't see any future in that. They didn't have interest in it. So uh, with the support of just an incredible team, you know, my McCacken fellow members, many of, well, I think you, probably, you guys probably know all of them because they're all hardcore enthusiasts. Um, they made my dream a reality, and here we are, 12 years later. Bob, we know that you and the team are hard at work planning this year's show. Any news or updates you can share? Yeah, I can tell you we are definitely full speed ahead. You know, it's, it's our hope that the current situation is behind us, and, of course, we're going to have to make some adjustments, and we know that. But uh, the passion is there, and uh, we are tracking ahead in every aspect as far as the amount of car entries, the amount of premier unveilings. Our sponsors have all renewed. We've got several new sponsors. So, uh, you know, as I say, we're 100% uh, full speed ahead. As far as new things, one that I've been working on this week, I'm really excited about that we haven't even put on a website yet. We are doing a pro stock gathering, which, uh, you know, as, as both of you guys know, most of the show is devoted to factory stock muscle. But I always add in some other things to keep things interesting. And lo and behold, my friends from the Mopar muscle team or Motown muscle team, I find out it's their 50th anniversary also. So we got to talking, and then our good friend Jeff Stunkert, of course, being a super big pro stock enthusiast, we got to talking and said, what better time to do a pro stock display than 2020 and uh, so the Motown missile guys will be there we've got Bill Bagshaw bringing in his 71 Challenger 
and a whole bunch of others. And as always, these are 100% real cars. They're not tributes or clones. This is like the actual cars that these guys were running back in 70 and 71. So that's that's kind of what I'm really excited about this week. Bob, if I've got a criticism, and it is a minor one, of the show, it's too short, guy. It's only two days long. What is the possibility of adding an extra day? And have you ever been asked that before? We It's a very common question. And, and I'll tell you what the reason for it not being a three or even a four-day show quite simply the event that's ahead of us is the largest trade show that they have at the donald e stevens convention center and it also is their very first trade show it's been there over 30 years which caters to the uh, food industry it's, it's what they call private label which is you know if you or i wanted to have a ketchup bottle and call it bob and john's ketchup this is where you would go to find the people who would produce that for us they literally occupy every square foot of exhibit space at the Donald E. Stevens which is over 700,000 square feet and they've been on that date since their inception so I've kind of a running joke with their promoter every year you know I see real nice people and say hey you guys are ready to change that date for me and give me a couple extra days and they kind of chuckle and say yep that's right Bob we'll let you know right away if we make that decision so that's that's the reason why it is limited just to the two days boy does do those two days go by in a hurry Bob, one of the displays that is growing in popularity is the section dedicated towards 1960s muscle bicycles. Um, It's almost a show within a show just in terms of how many bicycles are on display. You're a big time collector, lots of passion for those. Talk a little bit about how did that come about? Yeah, and it's really neat because being that the show is Chicago based, of course, the headquarters of Schwinn is Chicago. So that kind of is a neat little sub note. But Uh, For me, as a kid, like so many of us, when that ad came out in Boys Life magazine showing the Orange Crate bicycle, I about flipped. It was like, I have to have one of these bikes. And and I was seven years old at the time. That that ad was introduced in late 1967. And, you know, of course, I bugged my dad and said, oh, I got to get this bike. And, And I was actually due for a new bike for my birthday. My dad took me to our local bicycle shop, Bob's Bike Shop in Washington, Michigan. They had a row of these bikes there. The problem was when we walked over and picked up the price tag, the price tag, as I believe, was about $80, which was a lot of money in in 68. So dad said in no uncertain terms, there wasn't much of a chance of him springing for that orange crate bike. But... I did end up going home with the shiny blue Stingray Deluxe. So I didn't I didn't totally get shut out, but uh, from that day forward, I had the dream to have an orange crate bike. So fast forward to the 80s, my son Ian, who you both know, shares my passion for just about everything on wheels and, and has grown up around my enthusiasm for all this stuff. We decided we would go try to chase down an orange crate bike and we would go to garage sales and flea markets and that and ended up we purchased six or seven different bikes um never got an orange crate never saw one so they were just stingray bikes and that but they were cool and and ian liked riding them and we were polishing them cleaning them up then one day somebody told me about the ann arbor michigan bike show 
And this is something I had never heard of before, but uh, lo and behold, the world's largest bicycle show was within an hour of where I live. So uh, it's an annual event that happens every April. And uh, what I found out was that there were about six or 700 vendors selling bicycles and bicycle parts right around the corner from where I live. So uh, we went out there and, you know, my head was kind of spinning because imagine going to Carlisle for the first time to their swap meet. It was kind of like that, but with all two wheels instead of four. So uh, Ian purchased a, a book and it told how to decode the serial numbers for the bicycles. And real simple code. And um, he went out, wrote down all the serial numbers on the six or seven bikes we had. Ended up that everyone was a different year. So in the Stingray world, the real Stingrays are considered the 63 to 79 model years. So Ian said to me, hey, Dad, wouldn't it be cool to get one of every year? Well, that's what we did. And then I ended up buying an orange crate. And we found out they made orange crates from 68 to 73. We decided to fill in the years on that. Got one of every year of the crate bikes. Uh, Then we got interested in some of the other bikes, the Rosses, the Raleigh's, the Sears Spiders and that. We found ourselves expanding the collection to the point where at one point we had about 300 bikes in our collection, which I've pared down now to somewhere around 125 or 130. And Bob, what is it exactly that classifies a bicycle as being a muscle bicycle? Well, the muscle bike era kind of kicked off in the early 60s. And Schwinn was a company that really brought that to the forefront. And, And they were basically bikes that were inspired by kids out in California that were customizing their 20 inch bikes. And although Schwinn actually did not invent the Stingray bike, it was uh, several other companies that jumped on board out in California and some individuals. But uh, Schwinn was the one that really brought it out. The uh, Al Fritz, who was at the time the marketing manager for Schwinn, was in California. And he witnessed the enthusiasm that the kids had for these bikes and came back to Schwinn and said, hey, there's something going on in California. This is a great opportunity for it. For us and upper management actually frowned on it they thought he was kind of crazy and it's like oh nobody's going to buy those bikes well he uh, drew up a proposal for one with the high handlebars and a big fat tire in the back which were inspired by drag dragsters and, and race cars and uh, actually built a prototype which he was not authorized to do so at the time but just went ahead and did it because he felt that uh, he had enough confidence in the success of the program and uh when they announced it to the dealers, immediately they were flooded with orders. In fact, they received so many orders that it was far more than they were able to produce. Bob, staying along in that same vein, you and I were both at the Eddie Vinoy Collection in North Carolina. Of course, that auction coming up early June. In fact, there's already been a great television show that you and I were a part of that's aired on that collection on NBCSN. That, by the way, breaking news, that show is going to be re-airing on Saturday, May 2nd, along with the debut of the John Ottspot collection that's a selling at our indie auction. That'll be four to between four and five Eastern time on NBCSN. But um, you had a chance to take a look at some of the bicycles that were there uh, that Eddie Vinoy had put together. What did you think of some of the muscle bikes that were there? And was there anything that got your particular interest? 
You know, as you know, that collection is just staggering. And not just because it's a big collection, which obviously it is, but because of the quality of what is in there. And once I got over the overwhelming, just the wow factor of walking into the buildings and seeing just a, just a tremendous amount of stuff. As I got into the bicycles and saw the diversity of its collection and the quality of the bikes, it was really neat because what you can see with Eddie's collection is he is a guy that was collecting purely through passion. This was never something that he designed to put together so he could flip it later and make a bunch of money. I mean, he went after the things that he really liked. And it didn't matter if it was a valuable piece. Of course, there, there are plenty of them that are real valuable. But uh, what I like the most about the collection, and especially the bicycles, is the diversity and the quality. And just, I mean, he really went out of his way to find some super, super rare pieces that, quite honestly, I, I had heard of, but had never seen in person until I walked into his collection. Is there anything there that's uh, going to be for sale at the auction that you might have your eyes on as a potential bidder? There are. And the funny thing about it is, you know, I, I am a muscle bike guy and, and that's my passion lies in muscle bikes. And um, the ones that I saw that really caught my eye that I would like to add to my own collection actually were not muscle bikes. Now, not, that's not to say the muscle bikes he had aren't prime pieces. But some of the early pieces that he'd had, and again, these are pieces that I'd heard about or maybe I'd seen a picture of somewhere. But to see these things in person, I mean, he had a, one that comes to mind, he had a real small, a, a kid's bike. And it was a tandem, I want to say a 10 or 12 inch bike that just, just the cutest little thing you'd ever see. But from like the early teens and just immaculately restored. And, uh, you know, just, just, it kind of surprised me because it was so far from what I would normally be looking for, but just such a neat and unique piece. But that's one I would like to, to uh, add to my collection. However, I should have never said this in public because then everybody's going to go look and say, hey, what is this? And then I'm going to have more competition when I go to bid. But he also had several of the, of the fastbacks, the Schwinn fastbacks, which are uh, a variation of the Stingray. And they're great riding bikes. Unlike the crate bikes, which are the most popular among the collectible muscle bikes right now, they're not really a lot of fun to ride. And Ian and I both like to have bikes that are, you know, we actually take out and ride. Now my 11-year-old granddaughter, Emily, has her own collection of original paint girls bikes. And we like to take them out and ride them. And these fastbacks are great riding bikes. They have a nostalgic appeal. And, uh, geez, I want to say Eddie had at least half a dozen of them of different years. So there's several of those that I've got my eye on also. Hey, Bob, I've got a similar story. Uh, about 1970, my grandfather was in town and decided he was going to go with me to the local Schwinn shop and let me pick out a new bicycle. And I did. Uh, I got a candy apple red straight Stingray. I remember the sparkle silver seat. I remember, of course, the slick rear tire. Uh, candy apple red. It was about $80, as I recall. I wanted 
to create, and for very much the same reason that you had talked about earlier, that they were uh, more expensive. Seems to me by 1970, they were a little bit over $100. Uh, but I'll tell you, I had that bike for a couple, two, three years, rode the heck out of it, had a lot of fun with it. And I understand the nostalgia factor, very, very strong. Now you've got me wanting to go out and find one. So thanks a lot, my friend. Well, I've got a 1970 Stingray, candy apple red, red sparkle seat, original, unrestored, that I acquired from the original owner about a year ago. So if I bring that to McCacken and it ends up missing, I'm going to know where to go to look for it. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Well, Bob, you need to uh, up your collection of vintage bike locks. Maybe that's the solution. (laughs) Good point. Point taken. Well, it's going to be a great auction. We really appreciate, Bob, you uh, jumping on with us today, being a part of the television show as well. But most importantly, uh, the relationship that you and Matt and I and Meekum Auctions has all working together. Meekum, of course, is a presenting sponsor, Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. I'm predicting that uh, the event this year, 2021, it's always the week before Thanksgiving in November, so it's a really easy date to remember. Just from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for your efforts on the behalf of uh, helping us out with the Vinoy collection, but even more so your enthusiasm and your uh, aptitude for putting on what is so many people's favorite show. I just want to take a moment and I want to mention, and you can uh, mention some of these guys uh, as well. It's not just you. You're the guy that's, uh, you're the leader of this thing, but Stefano Bimby, Colin Comer, Mike Maurice, Charlie Lillard, Tony Lucas, Steve Shocker, Bill Sefton, all these guys are really important guys in the automotive world all having a big part of the show you guys knock it out of the park every year thank you so much man well thank you and as you said you know i am the face i get the credit but uh you know what makes our show so different is our team we are made up of hardcore enthusiasts you know we're the real deal it's it's not a big money thing for us it's it's more about producing the best possible show we can and the relationship that we've built with Meekum auctions and you and Matt and Dana and Frank and all the guys. I mean, it really is a natural. It goes hand in hand. And we're, we're honored to have Meekum Auctions as our presenting sponsor. Well, thanks, Bob, for stopping by. And uh, thanks for all the hard work that you do. Thanks again. And stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you real soon. Don't adjust that dial. On the Move, we'll be right back. Our program is proudly presented by Meekum Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. Now back to Matt and John. Now, John, turning our attention from bikes in McCacken back to some upcoming auctions, we've got Indy coming up here in June, and the Super June, as we're calling it. Um, We both took some time, and we looked over the listings of vehicles that have already been consigned, and we both kind of picked one that uh, we really liked, and we're going to talk about it. And so why don't you start off, what did you find that really grabbed your attention? Well, it was a tough choice, uh, Matt. I'll tell you why. Uh, the Spring Classic is the granddaddy of all Meekum auctions, dates back to 1988, is really Dana Meekum's pride and joy. So, as a result of that, it attracts an incredible variety and volume of cars. But, you know, taking a look at the website at Meekum.com, one car that I'm very familiar with jumped out at me as being sort of the car in my mind. Uh, I'd be curious uh, to see what your thoughts are about it as well. 1965 Pontiac GTO, yeah, pretty common on the Meekum auction block, second year of the GTO, but 
but this is a very special car. It's out of Dana's personal collection. This is the GTO Tiger in gold that was the giveaway car in the sweepstakes that was done, the contest in, in back in the mid-1960s that was one of the best and most successful promotions of all time. Uh, it was in conjunction with uh, Hearst and Pontiac and Hot Rod Magazine, many others where you would listen to a record and you would count the amount of times that the word GTO was used on the record and then you would send that in along with a 25 word um, summary of why you should be awarded this car and it actually went to a 19 year old fellow up in the Wisconsin area and it's been really in the Wisconsin area most of its life in surprisingly original condition it is unrestored it's been painted and the engine compartment's been detailed but the car's never been taken apart it's very unique it's got special gold anodized Hearst wheels it's got a gold anodized shifter and it's a high option car Matt it's got a lot of stuff like tilt wheel power windows of course the 360 horse 39 tri-power engine it's a four-speed parchment interior which is that real cool two-tone white and black with a vinyl top pine called it the cordova top and to put the icing on the cake not only do i remember the car from the campaign i was nine years old when the campaign went on i remember it but back in uh, always the mid-2000s actually had a chance to drive this car uh i was actually helping out the mecham auction staff at the saint charles auction back in the day and i had a chance to help move some of the cars from their display parking areas to the auction block and that is one of the cars i actually got to drive and now here Almost 15 years later, we're going to have a chance to highlight that uh, at uh, Mecham Auctions coming up in Indy. If I could pick any one car from that auction, it would be that one. Now, John, are you going to give listeners a sample of how that song goes? Uh, no, not in this particular uh, episode. But, you know, you never know what might come up in the future, Matt. You never know. Um, what about you? I, I, I know you've had a chance to take a look at the website. Anything jumps out at you that kind of hits your hot button? I really like this uh, 1953 Chevrolet Suburban. Uh, it's got that great 50s vibe with the big fenders, big chrome grille. This one's sitting down low on an air ride suspension with wide white wall tires. Uh, it's got a really slick turquoise and patina finish to it, so it looks super sharp. Underneath the hood is a uh, Corvette's 350 cubic inch V8, so tons of power, tons of reliability there. And then the cabin has been fitted with plaid upholstery that looks really nice, so so all in all, it's just a great vehicle that seems like it's ready just to load up and make memories. You know, you've got tons of space for family and friends and gear for everything from a, a day at the beach to a, a road trip to a, a weekend car show. And I feel like Suburban is just one of those special models that everyone has a connection to. Um, as it enters its uh, the 2020 model year, it marks 85 years of continuous production since its launch in 1935. So chances are good that nearly every Everyone has some kind of memory of riding in one, whether it be your family, your friends, your relatives. Everyone has a suburban story. Well, I think that's an interesting counterpart to my GTO, and it really does represent what we can expect out of the upcoming Spring Classic in June, and that is the widest variety. So much diversity in the inventory spanning from A to Z, certainly well over 100 years of automotive history uh, will be for sale and on display there. And I know that all of us in the Mecham world is speaking for the other announcers as well. We're already looking forward to uh, jumping back in and getting, getting everything 
everything back on track. Yeah, the the entire Mecham team is excited for sure about getting back to uh, kind of the swing of things, but we want to do it when it's safe. And uh, we know that we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there together. And in the meantime, uh, we'll be back together for another episode of On The Move. So until then, be sure to stay safe out there. Hey, Matt, just let me say, too, that uh, we really appreciate everybody so far uh, that has uh, tuned in to the podcast. This completes uh, our third edition. We've got lots more to be coming up, and uh, uh, we're going to be inviting uh, down the road. We're going to be inviting comments and questions from our listeners as well, and we'll be incorporating those into future episodes. And I'm with you, man. Stay safe, everybody. Number one priority. You've been listening to On The Move. Proudly presented by Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auctions. For more information, including past shows, visit Mecham.com. Be sure to sign up to become a Mecham InfoNet member, absolutely free. Join us again next time for more talk and discussion about the vehicles we love. We'll see you down the road.